You're listening to the Opportunity Zones and Private Equity Show. Listen in for news and insights on how Opportunity Zones, private equity funds, and private real estate can help you grow your wealth. Now, here's your host, Jimmy Atkinson. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones and Private Equity Show. I'm Jimmy Atkinson. As many of my viewers and listeners know, there's a housing shortage that we're experiencing in this country, uh, all over the country, and in many particular geographic locations as well. But what if a lot of older buildings that are underused or have gone unused for a while can be converted to multifamily? That'll form part of our discussion today that I'm having with my guest, Colin Momis, who is the Managing Director at North Companies. And Colin joins us today from New Orleans, Louisiana. Colin, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming on the show today. Jimmy, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, Colin. So to start us off, uh, North Companies, uh, you guys have been involved with Opportunity Zones for uh, a few years now. I'm guessing probably some of our audience of high net worth investors and advisors may have some familiarity with North or have heard your name. But uh, for those who aren't familiar with, with you and your firm, can you give us a brief introduction to the firm North Companies and what is your role there, Colin? Sure thing. Well, I appreciate it again. Um, so my name is Colin Momis. I'm the managing director here with North Companies. Um, we were founded in 2013, uh, really with a focus in New Orleans of you know, uh, rehabilitating blighted properties. They really that were left over since Hurricane Katrina and uh, redeveloping those uh, and improving the city's housing stock. Um, in 2018, when the Jobs and Tax Act came out, we realized that um, about 85% of our portfolio that we had worked on previously would have qualified uh, in qualified opportunity zones. And we decided to go ahead and launch an opportunity zone fund. Um, we had a couple of private equity funds that we'd set up previously. Uh, and one thing about the legislation, we realized that you know nobody else could say that they were experts except for the people who had written the legislation. So we figured that we would be able to be on the forefront of that. Uh, we're in our third opportunity zone fund now. Uh, we've raised um, you know three funds in the, in the process of raising our third fund. Uh, but really, our, our you know bread and butter of the fund is deploying the capital into. Um, secondary tertiary markets. Uh, when we do have investments in New Orleans, we have investments in Houston. Really, our primary focus is secondary markets in the, the South. Uh, and we we typically look for overlapping and marrying kind of the opportunity zone incentives or um, uh, opportunity zone program with other incentives like historic tax credits, uh, other tax advantage, um, you know, tax advantage uh, strategies as well. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that makes what you're doing somewhat unique among opportunity zone developers, qualified opportunity funds, is the vast majority of QOFs that are doing real estate are doing ground up construction. Because you know, frankly, it's it's very difficult to take an older building and rehabilitate it cost effectively and being able to achieve um, for, you know, I'm going to throw out a compliance term right now, substantial improvement. Uh, it's very difficult to double the basis in in buildings oftentimes uh, but in certain areas of the country, and I think Louisiana, New Orleans certainly is one of those areas where you can take older buildings, get them at low cost and pretty easily achieve substantial improvement. And, you know, as you mentioned, it also allows you to stack other uh, tax incentive, most notably historic tax credits, which you guys have been doing for quite a while, um, long before Opportunity Zones even. Uh, can you talk about how, how often you're able to do that? How often are you buying up older buildings and stacking HTC uh, credits sure. um, in, into those types of projects? 
Absolutely. You know, as a company, I think we've probably done over 50 historic tax credit projects in the last 10 years. Um, and, you know, one of the great things about marrying opportunities zone uh, investments with historic tax credits is that, you know, for the historic tax credit um, program, you also have a, a substantial renovation threshold that you have to be able to meet. So there has to be a substantial improvement based on the basis that you have into the into the project. Another thing that we really like about, you know, combining the historic tax credits with uh, the opportunity zone is just the timing. So, you know, if we are looking to hold an asset, not that we have to hold a specific asset for 10 years, but say we do just to maximize um, the return for the OZ and, and um, you know, and not have to you know, reinvest funds uh, according to compliance. Um, you know, it, it's similar in timing from what we have to do for the earning the historic tax credit in full compliance. So um, from the time we acquire a building um, for a historic tax credit project, um, you know, by the time we acquire it, go through pre-development and, and, and redevelopment and, and plans, you might be two years before we break ground um, or a year before we break ground. It might be another year in construction. So we're two years in total. Um, once we place the building in a service, there's a five-year hold on that project to keep it, uh, to make sure it meets all the compliance standards for historic tax credits. So um, in, in total, we're invested in the project for seven years anyway. So we can overlap you know, a historic tax credit project in an opportunity zone and really only have a, a requirement that we hold that asset for another three years in order to fully maximize the return. Um, you know, when we're talking about opportunity zones and qualified opportunity zone investments, it, it, for us, it, it's actually a really great um, combination of the two. And, um, you know, we we don't, um, you know, avoid other projects where we could acquire land at, at a compelling base, com compelling base on land and we can, you know, improve, uh, build um, new construction, but we've just seen the historic tax credits and what it does for the capital stack, uh, de-risking projects, just is a great way for us uh, to find, uh, you know, great assets for us to, to invest in. Now, the geography that you're in, uh, your projects are almost exclusively in Louisiana. You've got a few in Tyler, Texas as well, which is, uh, well, I'm in Fort Worth. That's that's way out in East Texas. It's practically right. Louisiana. What, what do you right. like about that area of the country, what's what's your investment thesis behind why you're bullish on that geographic region for real estate development and 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 rehabilitation? Absolutely. You know, one of the main drivers that we see when we're looking at markets is really the inflow of population. You know, I don't think it's a secret of what's happened with Texas over the last you know, 15, 20 years. But, you know, in, in the middle of COVID, I asked a couple of our analysts to really do some market research. You know, we have these fancy uh, subscriptions to different data analysis uh, software. And, you know, I said, hey, let's find some markets that may be underinvested in and, and let's see if we can find a couple of diamonds in the rough. Within a week, you know, I had one of my analysts came back to look, I don't know a whole lot about Tyler, Texas, but we need to look at it. And, and you know, what we saw was, you know, median income that was at or above uh, the, the, you know, median incomes for the surrounding cities. Uh, we saw a population where it was one of two populations in Texas where actually the average age is coming down. So it's going down, showing kind of new families and, and young profession, uh, young professionals moving into the, to the market. Uh, and also it had a projected, you know, in, uh, projected increase in population uh, that was just staggering. And we started doing some research and it turned out there was a, a new medical school going into the city. And then as, as we started having kind of more conversations and, and on a subjective feedback, it just became apparent that it was a market that we really wanted to be in. Uh, we started, you know, really digging in uh, we saw that the opportunity zone was really over most of the city uh, and that the downtown uh, of Tyler, which had a, a number of really beautiful uh, historic buildings that were just underinvested, underutilized, and some of them were abandoned. Um, that downtown was actually uh, going to be being placed into a historic district, a federal historic district within the next you know, 
year. And so we started identifying properties down there. We were able to acquire four of them and we're converting them right now. And over the next year and a half, we should be investing about $100 million into the downtown. That's one of the things about opportunity zones that we really um, you know, are, are proud of, you know, it's just the impact that the opportunity zone um, you know, investments are making. You know, I know for a while there was some skepticism on what um, the program was going to do, um, but we're seeing specifically in some of these secondary markets, you know, it's allowing us to make investments that wouldn't necessarily have happened were it not for the opportunity zones and pretend, you know, you know, overlap with other um, you know, incentives as well. So I want to talk about how you're stacking some of those other tax incentives with OZ equity as you form your capital stack in, in a couple minutes here. But um, you, know, you mentioned a, a couple of examples of what you're working on in Tyler. What, what are some other projects that you've worked on so far, whether in, in Tyler or, or elsewhere in Texas or Louisiana? What are, what are some projects uh, that you've done that you're most proud of? Yeah, I would say, you know, probably the one that I'm most proud of right now is uh, the former Warwick Hotel in downtown New Orleans. It was a conversion of a former hotel. Uh, it was across from City Hall, downtown New Orleans, about 130,000 square feet. You know, it had sat there vacant ever since Hurricane Katrina. Um, we had, you know, driven by the property, you know, looked at it a number of times up until we acquired it back in 2018. Uh, and it just really hadn't made sense for us to, to acquire it until the QOZF legislation came around and we had some more investors who came to came to Baird who said they were really interested in the project. And so once we were able to do that, I think the, 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 the doors opened up for that project to be, to be able to happen and be successful. Um, we converted the old hotel, uh, about 130,000 square feet into 154 apartments that are master leased by Tulane University uh, for their medical school and uh, traveling professors, students, um, and affiliated, um, affiliated tenants. And then the ground floor that has uh, a new restaurant that's down there and has an innovation institute. So it's also something that has, you know, helped, you know, a, a large university, but really kind of put a foothold downtown New Orleans. And, and it's been something that is also uh, just a, a great building, a great addition to the downtown, you know, fabric. Uh, no, that's great. And um, it, did I understand you correctly? The Opportunity Zone legislation kind of helped you unlock the development of that project there? Absolutely, 100%. So we, we looked at the project again, just from the historic ta uh, tax credit standpoint for years and just couldn't get over the acquisition ask uh, that the owners had. Uh, and, and once the you know, Opportunity Zone uh, investors you know, realized that this wasn't an Opportunity Zone, I think people were a little bit more uh, interested and compelled to, to actually come and invest in the project. And it didn't take long for us to, to identify investors who wanted to you know, partner on this and, and, and we were able to make it happen. See, I think that's great. I, you know, I hear uh, a narrative against the Opportunity Zone program goes something like this: that you know these these incentives are lining the pockets of developers and investors when they would have probably already done these projects anyway. But what you're telling me runs counter to that. This was a project you wanted to get done, but you just couldn't quite get it to pencil. And then the QOF legislation comes along; you're able to finally get the equity in that 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 makes sense makes the numbers make sense and as a result you've you know increased the number of housing units uh where as i mentioned in the intro we're, we're desperately in need of more housing in this country so i think that's that's a great example of oz's living up to their promise and and doing the good that that they were meant to do absolutely and, and i can say without a fact without a doubt that this project would not have happened were it not for uh a qualified opportunity zone that was placed over downtown the world that allowed us to bring in opportunities on investors. So it was great. 
I love those uh, those examples. So that thanks for sharing that. Maybe I'll ask you for a few more toward the end of the, uh, <laughs> the episode here. But but let's get back to uh, the, the the fact that you guys focus on tax advantaged strategies uh, to get your projects done. You're stacking a number of incentives, oftentimes federal and and local incentives. Couple that with the Opportunity Zones initiative, and and you've really got a pretty uh, unique capital stack on on some of these some of these projects that really help you get uh, get the capital that you need. In addition to historic tax credits, what other tax strategies are you using or or, or credit programs are you using, either federal yeah, so or local? The 179D and 45L deductions, those are, are projects that are, are deductions that we will use uh, if they're new construction or if they're you know projects that are not earning historic tax credits. Uh, we typically work with local governments for you know local incentives, whether it be restoration tax abatements, we're able to freeze property taxes or you know, different types of agreements with local governments for, you know, reimbursement of fees or, um, you know, in Texas, a number of 380 agreements that we're able to form with local cities, uh, 381 agreements that we're able to form with counties. Uh, there's terms agreements that we're able to enter into to help abate some of the taxes moving forward. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we've just found a lot of, a number of local governments, particularly in some of these smaller, um, smaller markets, um, ha- have been eager and, and a little bit more aggressive in being able to facilitate some of these um, and, and, and helping us you know, make some of these projects that, again, would not have been possible were it not for the opportunities on legislation. I think the local uh, governing bodies are starting to realize just with a little bit extra assistance, these projects are really feasible. So um, I don't want to get too technical or turn this into a masterclass on different tax incentives, but I, <laughs> you've piqued my interest a little bit. I, I'm hoping you can Shed some light on on some of the alphabet soup and and numbers that you threw at us. One seventy nine D. I think you mentioned forty five L. Was it and three eighty one, and then TERS. Uh, can can you walk us through what each one of those is very sure. very briefly? And I I, I know we could probably go into the weeds and talk about this stuff for an hour, but <laughs> what's, so what's one seventy nine D? Maybe start there. So that 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 in a, a, a quarter. The, the 179D and the 45L are basically just deductions that you're able to take through doing a cost segregation analysis. Uh, so you're not just traditionally um, depreciating the assets uh, according to a commercial or a residential depreciation, but you're able to bonus depreciate and you're able to take additional deductions uh, based on the square footage of the building or the number of units. And a lot of that has been updated uh, with the recent tax code or with the recent legislation for energy uh, efficiency with the federal government. And, um, you know, one of the greatest things about um, you know, one of the great things, I won't say greatest, but one of the great things about uh, opportunities on investment, particularly when it relates to real estate, is just the, the, that depreciation is not recaptured. So any ability that we can to take additional deductions, take bonus depreciation front end really helps us uh, to maximize the investment. Um, and so that that's great. The TERS and the 380 and 381 agreements really are just, um, you know, um, different uh, incentives that are, I think, held by the state, by the local governing bodies, um, whether it be county or city that basically help um, reimburse or help you with property taxes. If you're going to uh, renovate properties that are historic or are going to have a benefit, a greater benefit for the town, the county, uh, they're able to provide additional incentives through those programs uh, that help you uh, in, in lieu of increased property taxes. Basically, they're either rebating taxes or they're able to help you freeze them. Um, and again, you know, we, we focus on historic tax credits and, and that, you know, depending on what state you're in, uh, you can get 20% a credit based on your qualified rehabilitation costs for the federal side. And you can also get a 20 to 25% credit from state uh, credits as well, based on your qualified rehabilitation credit. So, you know, by, by the end of the day, when you stack all these, you know, the, the equity that you actually need to come to the project is quite low. Um, 
comparatively to what other projects we may have been looking at, either if it's ground up and not taking advantage of some of these tax credits, um, you know, or um, or if we were just, you know, again, doing it without the tax credits. No, I think that's great. Uh, so it, it sounds like, I, I, I guess, um, in addition to Opportunity Zones, three different types of, or at least I like to bucket them, uh, just kind of thinking out loud here into three different buckets, the federal tax credits or historic tax credits you can go after, and then and then federal tax uh, depreciation benefits that you can take advantage of, cost segregation. Um, by the way, we did a really interesting episode on cost segregation and how it can relate to Opportunity Zones. With, uh, with a previous podcast episode that I did with Plant Moran just a few weeks ago. I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes for today's episode. And then that third bucket, I think, is the local tax incentives, which I think is really smart by the uh, economic development groups within these different localities. If they're trying to attract different developers in, sometimes you got to dangle a carrot to, to get them there and to make sure that the numbers make sense for them and, and their investors. So I think you're taking advantage of some different uh, tax increment Financing is that the is that the TI and TIRZ TERS tax Correct. increment something something That's okay it. good stuff um, well I think also that stuff helps you in regards to uh, interest rate hikes we've we've experienced a, a rapid increase in interest rates from the Fed over the last twelve months or so here how have you been impacted by those interest rate hikes and and how have these different tax incentives and different tax credits that you're using in capital stack kind of help offset the impact of interest rate hikes? Yeah. Well, personally, I think it's, it's helped me loosen more hair up top because it's, uh, <laughs> it's just a few more sleepless nights and just trying to make sure that we can get some of these projects refined or, or refinanced or get them through construction financing. But really, I mean, it's been something that we've had to stay on top of. And I think anybody in the real estate industry has been uh, over this last year, year and a half, and just understanding the this was this was bound to happen at some point or another, but um, the, the the pace at which these uh, interest rate hikes have come really have uh, affected. Um, you know, I think the plans for construction on some of them, uh, on some of the projects that we're working on, and other projects that we're seeing in the pipeline, uh, and also even projects that are complete and just looking at refinances. I mean, those have been um, interesting as well. Uh, you know, it, it's been an interesting case study. I mean, honestly, whether good or bad, it's been fascinating to see what it does. And in terms of us, our strategy. Now, I would say compared to where we were a year ago, we're probably a lot more heavily weighted uh, putting equity into projects, which I think is an opportunity for opportunity zone funds. And that I think there's more um, more space for equity to go into projects, you know, where before we may have been looking to finance projects 65 to 70 percent uh, loan to value. I think now we're, we're shooting closer to 50 50 um, in some in some scenarios. And I would say we're doing that one. You know, we have the benefit of the tax credits. And, and in fact, with tax credits, sometimes we can be below. 50% debt to value uh, on a loan, a traditional, um, you know, loan. Um, but at the same time, also just the cost of, of debt. I mean, really the cost of debt and equity are getting so close to each other. You know, previously, if you went into a project 50-50, the, the difference between your returns would be, you know, pretty significant. Uh, relatively compared to that, I think now when you're looking at a difference between uh, the pricing on debt and equity, it, it's a lot closer than it was. And so, uh, it, it makes the ability to bring in you know, more equity, um, you know, a lot more palatable, and um, you know, something that we are we're starting to do as a company. Interest rates uh, certainly aren't as low as as they used to be. It's really increased that that cost of debt over the last uh, twelve months or so. Very, very, pretty, pretty rapid uh, change. You're not alone um, in yeah. terms of you know how how the capital stacks have had to to change. Um, 
what what else would you say makes you unique? You know, we talked about how you're you're not doing a lot of ground up. You're doing substantial improvement on a lot of older buildings. I think that's one aspect that makes you unique. Uh, what what are some other aspects that make North companies unique? Now I'd say uh, we we are, and I hate to tell people vertical vertically integrated because we're not vertically integrated, but I'd say we're vertically associated. Our, one of our uh, partners, our managing partner, Alex Hernandez, is also. Um, president um, and CEO of um, a general contracting company here. Uh, and we also have an affiliated architectural firm that we work with um, regularly and have worked with throughout the history of our company, uh, Albert Architecture based here in New Orleans. Um, you know, when you're dealing with these type of, you know, the timing constraints on, you know, investors placing capital on opportunity zones, additionally, you know, um, timing constraints of opportunity zones placing capital on the projects, you know, timing is important. And for us, um, with our affiliation with these companies, we're able to vet projects relatively quickly. You know, we're able to do a lot of the tax credit work in-house. Uh, we're able to get our cost estimates uh, done quickly in-house, and we're able to get uh, kind of schematics and design drawings done. Typically, these are able to be done during our due diligence phase uh, so that we are able to, um, you know, give ourselves a go, no-go relatively quickly, as opposed to maybe some other um, groups that, um, you know, maybe outsourcing some of these and, and maybe be a little bit more, um constrained uh, by other schedules, you know, we're able to kind of rush these things through if we need to. And um, it's, it's created, I think, a process for us that we have, we trust, we believe in, uh, and it's brought us some projects we really like. Right on. Uh, you know, I, I think it seems obvious to me what attracted you to the Opportunity Zones program. You were already building or uh, rehabilitating a lot of these buildings in these areas for probably several years before OZs came into existence when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was passed at the end of 2017. You mentioned that one example of what you did in downtown New Orleans with the Warwick Hotel, being able to convert that into multifamily housing, which would not have been possible but for the Opportunity Zone tax incentive. I'm hoping you can share a few more stories. Do you have any other examples of how the Opportunity Zone incentive has helped you build in areas that you may not have otherwise, or has it helped you build more quickly or get projects done where, where otherwise you would not have been able to? Yeah, you know, I, I would say definitely the, the program has incentivized us to expand probably regionally uh, faster than we would have expanded uh, previously. Uh, once we, you know, saw the, the impact that it had, the, um, you know, the, the equity and the investors that were interested in placing capital in the projects, uh, and we saw the, the impact that, you know, these overlapping of credits and, and kind of the synergies that were there between historic tax credits and opportunities in the program. We really went out regionally looking for opportunities. And so, like, like we mentioned, we settled on, um, you know, Tyler for our first, you know, three projects or four projects that we've gone outside of, of town with. And we have one in downtown Houston right now that we're working on as well. Um, and, and I could say, you know, definitely we would not have been you know, moving as quickly regionally had it not been for that. I would also say different types of asset classes that we're looking at. I think that, you know, we, for a while, had been doing some mixed use, multifamily, mixed use kind of retail, uh, ground level retail, ground level commercial. Um, we really believe in just the, the need for housing. Uh, I agree with you, what you were saying. That, you know, it is definitely um, one of the larger needs, particularly in kind of our more urban areas. And uh, whether it's a secondary, you know, city, tertiary city, or kind of a primary city, we still see kind of the same needs that, you know, quality, affordable housing, whether it be workforce housing, whether it be, you know, um, you know, market rate, it's still needed. And um, we, we feel like we've been able to identify assets and, you know, through adaptive reuse, either turn those into apartments or take, you know, old apartments and just, just renovate those. 
um, making sure that we're able to hit substantial improvement thresholds that are that are needed. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I can imagine that OZs have helped you unlock a lot of projects that you weren't able to do. You, you were able to expand regionally a little bit faster. What about any challenges? Have there been any challenges that you faced with regards to utilizing the Opportunity Zone incentive for your projects? Um, you know, one challenge that we had was unexpected was, um, you know, utilization of some of the deductions and um, tax credits, uh, utilizing those that are beyond kind of the basis of an individual's investment in the Opportunity Zone fund. And we've been able to get around it through time when we generate tax liability. But you know, some of these tax credits are being generated even before some of our qualified Opportunity Zone investors um, are really realizing their basis of their investment because they haven't naturally, you know, um, realized that investment, um, the basis, of the, the basis in the fund. And so that, that's been one challenge that we, we've worked through. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think another one has just been, you know, for a period of time, finding projects was, was really tough. It seemed like if anything was in an opportunity zone hitting uh, the market, it seemed like those projects were getting scooped up quickly or uh, the expectation on pricing, um, the pricing on them, just because they were an opportunity zone, maybe were inflated with a premium of cost 15, 20, 30% to a point that really made those projects infeasible. But, you know, as things have been, um, you know, the, the market's changing a little bit, we're starting to see quite a few opportunities that are, you know, coming back around and, you know, we're excited. You know, I, I think you know, tough, maybe tough market conditions, maybe open up some opportunities across the board um, for us to really be able to deploy capital and, and, and develop some interesting projects. So North has been around for a while. You guys predate Opportunity Zones. Uh, you guys have been around for, I think, 10 plus years. Uh, right. I'm curious, who is your capital base? Who who are your investors? And has that group changed as you've done more OZ deals at all? So the, uh, I would say high net worth individuals. Um, we have you know had a few family offices invest with us as well, some institutional capital. And interestingly, there have been you know, a number of, call it, uh, doctor groups, uh, physician groups who have been, you know, acquired recently that we've had, um, you know, the fortune of having them come into our, our funds as investors um, and pre primarily through the retail channels. I and mean, we've had, you know, just traditional um, high net worth individuals coming through. Good stuff, Colin. Uh, it's been great talking with you today. Uh, we're, we're starting to run out of time. We really appreciate all of the Opportunity Zone knowledge and and the uh, historic tax credit knowledge that, that you've provided for us today. Uh, North doing some really great stuff. You guys have been around for for a decade plus doing different real estate developments and, and real estate uh, rehabilitation, I should say. Um, given all of that, wh where do you see the markets going today? Where do you see the opportunity in the market? Or, or what are some of the most powerful trends that you see unfolding over the next few years in, in the broader real estate industry? Yeah, you know, I, one thing that I can see on, on the immediate horizon and something that we've been looking at and, and actually a couple of projects we're working on now is, you know, potentially the the conversion of, you know, uh, call it motels, old hotels into maybe apartments. Um, you know, as we're looking at timing, spoke about timing, you're talking about cost of debt, talk, talk, cost of capital. Uh, we're seeing it beneficial to look at trying to get projects back into commerce quickly that we're not holding construction loans for. 12 to 14 months, things that we can acquire, maybe turn back around, meeting that substantial improvement threshold, uh, call it in a you know three to four month process, maybe six month process, and be able to get these things turned around quickly, as opposed to having to go through a year of planning and then you know, 12, 14 months of construction and then a, a full lease up period. I mean, we're thinking that we can get some of these products back online relatively quickly. And we think that'll help us with the velocity and being able to place capital that we have with us 
and as we were speaking, I think some of these asset classes that we're looking at would probably be uh, less capital intensive on the total project cost. So uh, we can afford to go more heavily equity uh, into the project. And you know, hopefully um, the terms that we'd be able to be able to realize on, on the back end where we can refinance the projects, maybe they would be uh, still favorable. But um, I think that's one that we're going to look at projects that maybe need a little bit less of value add. I also think that, um, you know, I've seen some of the other podcasts and you have different asset classes. You know, we, we, we continue to be intrigued by industrial. Uh, we have a few warehouses that we look light industrial. I, I see some opportunity there. Um, you know, whether it be small um, secondary tertiary markets, even primary cities, I think uh, the local governing bodies and, and the, um, you know, business communities do need uh, a lot of industrial development uh, there. And so we've seen uh, through some of the communications that we've had uh, with just different um, bodies that um, there, there are potential additional incentives for industrial development and, and some opportunities there. So we're, uh, we're looking for opportunities now and, and, and potentially that'll be a, an area of growth for us moving forward. I, I agree. Uh, a lot of positive trends yep. for, for the industrial asset class, yep. certainly. Yep. Uh, hey, Colin, thank, thanks so much again for sharing your insights today. Before I let you go, if uh, anyone in our audience of high net worth investors or advisors want to learn more about you or your investment opportunities at North, where can they go to learn more, find out some more information? Sure thing. Uh, you can go to our website, northcompanies.com, N-O-R-F-companies.com. Um, you know, there'll be a link. You can send us an email and um, you know, we're, we're happy to you know, respond quickly to any inquiries or uh, any questions that people may have. You know, something that we work with as well, as I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, we, we don't say that we're experts. We like to help, you know, we like to extend help and helping hands. And so uh, we frequently find ourselves, you know, just uh, helping just other investors uh, just kind of evaluate the Opportunity Zone program as well, because we really are a believer in the program, what it can do. And, um, you know, I think the proof is in the pudding in some of the projects that we have and others that we've seen happening around the country. So. Absolutely. Well said, Colin. Um, and I'll make sure to link to North in the show notes for today's episode which my listeners and viewers can find as always on our website at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And please be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube or your favorite podcast listening platform to always get the latest episode. Colin, again, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Jim. I really appreciate your time. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode.